Welcome to the Gate Crashers Podcast, where we storm the gates of publishing and dare to talk about the realities of the industry. I'm your Ivory Tower representative, Amanda Liedeke, literary agent and vice president at McGregor and Liedeke. And I'm your self-publishing insider, Carice Crow, novelist and speaker. Last week, we had talked about some takeaways from the big Penguin Random House antitrust trial. Uh, Carice is reading up on the trial, and so she pulled some um, notes and comments that people have made online and in articles regarding the trial, just notes about the industry in general. And we talked about those. And last week, I was pressed for time, and I ended up only um, providing the first part of that conversation. Uh, so this week, we are going to listen in on the rest of the conversation in which Carice and I talk about some of these things that, um, again, are being discussed now in the industry as a result of some of the information being provided in the big Penguin Random House antitrust trial. So another thing in that article, I'm going to quote her here. Penguin Random House said that their total marketing spend comprises 2% of revenues. That's roughly a $55 million marketing spend on annual sales of about 2.7 billion. And that like, I had to lean back from my laptop for a moment when I read that number because 2% of revenues are going to advertising of their, of their total Considering that it is very, very standard in the self-publishing world to be spending 25%, 33% of your income on advertising in order to push your books and get them to sell more, the idea that there's such a disparity of that number between what a traditional publisher will spend to advertise a book versus what a self-published author will spend, yeah, that's that's like... It was so shocking to me. Yeah. I think when you look at it that way, that does seem small. 2% of revenue. (laughs) It's, why is it that small? Considering like how much effort and thought goes into, or at least perceived effort and thought going into the advertising for these books And I'm sure for you, how many calls you've been on, the hours you've spent negotiating between your authors and the publishers of, well, what are we going to do to try to push sales? How are we going to get people attracted to it? What's our approach here? What are we? And then to find out it's that this giant publisher only spends 2% of their revenue on advertising. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, I, um, there's no way that's, that's industry standard no. for like most businesses. Like how much do you think Coca-Cola spends on advertising every year? And who's going to forget that Coca-Cola exists, you know? That would actually be a really good thing to look up. Like Coca-Cola's ads, advertising dollars versus their revenue. So we used to the yes. math, everyone. We just did the math on Coca-Cola. <laughs> And it looks like they spend more than 10% of their revenue on right. advertising. Advertising. Yeah. It's okay. So here's, I think, also a way to reframe it. I still think 2% is really low. But with Coca Cola, you're selling the same product over and over and over and over and over, right? Right. With self publishing, you're essentially selling the same products over and over. And every once in a while, you have a new one introduced. But if you were introducing 
you know, a hundred new products in a year. I think that's part of it. Just like they do the cut and paste advertising approach, right? Where this is what we do. And this is, we know this is how much it costs. And this is what all of these books get unless Mm -hmm. we decide differently. So there is that. And there's also the fact that they already have their team. So they're not having to hire out, you know, someone to help you, you know, publishers can help authors like with their websites, with their book launches, with their, they can help them with all of these things that others would have to hire out. So it's like, they've already got their team. So they're not having to have that as an expense. They've already, they already know what they're doing to a degree. Um, right. So there's no like upfront costs with learning, you know, whatever, um, Amazon advertising, they've already got people who know how to do that. So like that, I think accounts for part of it. You know, the fact that it is copy and paste, it's a big machine. They do the same thing all the time for every book. However, is that also a big downfall of traditional publishing? Absolutely. Because when you've got all of these titles and mm-hmm. you're just doing the same thing for every book, it doesn't work. Like you do need to spice it up depending yep. on the title and you mm-hmm. need authors who are willing to get in there and get their hands dirty with marketing and advertising and not every author is willing to do that either. So Right. So I did some digging as well. And this is just off Google, so don't take these numbers as absolute specifics. But Google told me that Penguin Random House specifically publishes a roughly 15,000 trade titles per year, which is what you know is being discussed in this trial. And if they're only spending 2% of their revenue across 15,000 titles, that would be an absolute mean average, not a median here, but a mean average of $3,666 per title. And so the Department of Justice is making this argument that, well, a larger advance means you're gonna get a larger advertising budget. And that's gonna be true to some extent. But I think when you when you put it into such a, a mean number like that, it becomes painfully obvious mm-hmm. what the disparity must be between these titles that are getting a $10,000 advance versus a $250,000 advance. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no way that you bought the book for $10,000 and you're spending almost $4,000 in advertising for it. It, it, Your number can't be close to that. I'm going to take a wild stab and say it's probably closer to the top range of hundreds. Yeah. $1,000, $1,200, you know? Yeah. There have been times I've been on calls about marketing and I've gotten the sense that the publisher has about a thousand dollars for the book. Yeah. And then there have been times I've gotten the sense that they've got 3,500. So that line, that like 3,600, that felt, that like felt true. Right. Um, And I've, sometimes I've gotten the sense that they've had, they have a lot more. I've never gotten the sense except for, I guess, I guess I have, but not with traditional publishers, like in terms of like Penguin Random House and all those folks. I've never gotten a sense with those folks, like those big five, big four, that they have a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of funds to put toward a book. Um, And it's always been, you know, yeah, in that range of 3,000 to 10,000 or something like that. 
I am reminded, though, of a few years ago when we interviewed Jonathan Merck, who used to be a vice president at Simon & Schuster. Now he's running his own business. He told us the advance does not necessarily dictate the marketing dollars. Um, Rather, the marketing teams are or the the head of marketing is given like, here, you have a million dollars to spend over the next 12 months or whatever. Right. Figure it out. Yeah. This (laughs) is your pie. You figure out the size of the slice that everybody who's coming to your table is going to get. Yeah. And so they talk with sales and like, hey, what do you, how do you think this book is going to do? And so the actual marketing dollars may not at all reflect what the book went for in the auction or what the book sold for, um, which to me is a wild disconnect. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know why they do it that way, but. Yeah. When I was reading this article, she was recounting some of what the publishers were saying on the stand. And it was right in line with what Jonathan had told us that, well, no, it's, it's not a direct correlation, but it's, it's not, not a correlation. Like it, it doesn't immediately inform. It's not like, oh, if you get an advance of this number, you automatically get an advertising budget of this number. That's not happening. It's just, is it more probable your advertising budget is going to be larger? Yes. Guaranteed? No. But even in the trial, publishing executives had to concede that they market books aggressively when they've paid a very high advance, which I mean, duh, it's a business. You can't, you can't not try to make that giant advance author success. I mean, you, you have to stay in business. So yeah, you're going to, you're going to end up pushing that title series, that author harder than the one that only got paid five or $10,000. Yeah. And especially if they're defining a high advance as one that's 250 K or, or above, Mm -hmm. because that's kind of the, those are the parameters that the trial has set forth as like, this is high advance. So yeah especially then because that, that those people getting that kind of money there's not many of them you know right. it's not like you look at your roster and you've got like 50 authors who are getting that kind of dough for their book right right so only a few of them so yeah you're gonna make and and the ones getting that are typically your top athletes in the prime of their career they're your best-selling novelist, you're already proven track record, best-selling nonfiction writers. So of course your marketing team is going to then give more dollars. Like they don't need to, like, it just, that's just how it happens, but it's not like, um, there's like a conspiracy to trap the money with them, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like there's not a conspiracy to like keep the money flowing in a certain direction. That's just the nature of business. Yeah, there was even an argument to be made that the 250K wasn't really the top tier. The top tier should be defined as like a million or more. Yeah, It's just there's so few of those books that get published every year. It's kind of like, oh, we're no longer talking about the 1%. We're talking about the 0.1% here. Oh, yeah. You know, we're talking about when Stephen King, like you said, publishes a new book. When the Obamas, you know, made their book contract. That's your, that's your top. 0.1% that are getting those deals. And you could get into those specifics, sure. But for the purpose of a trial, it was like, let's let's just cap it at 250 and just stay there. Let's just talk about those people. 
I wanted to finish us out on this topic. Um, this isn't so much about publishing specifically, but just the importance of this case that's going on and the case law that it could be setting precedents for. So if the defense, if the publishing houses come out with a victory and the purchase of Simon, Simon & Schuster is allowed to go forward, only time is going to tell what that's going to actually do to the book industry, to author advances. Nobody really knows for sure. It is likely that it will get us into a situation where traditional authors are going to be paid ever-decreasing advances because of the monospony. However, if the Department of Justice is successful, this case is going to be massive national news. Like it's not gonna be just authors and people within the publishing industry who hear about this. Everyone's going to hear about this because there's so little case law on this. Mm -hmm. And it's specifically protecting the laborers who give a company their ability to sell the products that they sell. If the Department of Justice succeeds, it is very likely that they are going to next turn their attention to Hollywood, to big yeah. tech, potentially to Amazon, because they've talked about breaking up these companies, breaking up these industries so that they can no longer set the price for the labor and just say, sorry, but you don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? That's the joke right now in publishing is it's like, okay, the government finally decides to step in when it's you know publishers that are trying to do this meanwhile they've let like amazon and all of those others just run rampant i mean how many brands does uh johnson and johnson own or how many like it's right. just it's it's yes and now they're finally deciding to take a stand so that feels a little irritating where it's like really this is where you draw the line after all of that has happened and completely reshaped the economy of america i mean right. book companies merging that doesn't usually reshape the economy of, of America like Amazon has, like Walmart right. has. So mm -hmm. that's my frustration with this whole thing. Um, it almost feels like a day late and a, and a dollar short. Uh, right. But and I actually see like, it's definitely frustrating that they've let it get to this point. Yeah. But I can also understand why someone sitting in the DOJ would go, that one, that's the one. <laughs> right. Because publishers don't have they don't have Walmart money. They don't right. have Amazon money. Right. You know, where they're, what they're trying to do is take this case, establish a precedent, establish case law, yeah. establish something that they can go back and cite and say, no, look at this. This is how it's being done here. That's what was ruled. That's what's going to be maintained. Now I'm going to look at you, Walmart. Now I'll look at Johnson & Johnson. Now we can, now that we've got some like actual precedents behind us, now we're going to come for you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Gatecrashers podcast. If you found value in this episode or in any of the episodes we've done, you can drop a tip in our tip jar. You can send a tip via PayPal. Simply use our link, paypal.me slash gatecrashers, or log into PayPal and search us using our username, which is at gatecrashers. And be sure to be here next week for a brand new episode.